everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith. I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show where we hit on all the latest and greatest news of the week. And man, what a busy time for Bayern Munich, not just on the pitch as they prepare for their Bundesliga restart against Hoffenheim, but also in the rumor mill because Bayern Munich has quite a few irons in the fire. We've got an NFL game coming back to the Allianz Arena, much to my chagrin. And much, much more to talk about. So there's a lot going on right now. Uh, as I mentioned, Bayern does restart its Bundesliga season on Friday against Hoffenheim. If you get a chance, check out our preview show, breaking down where things stand in that matchup between Bayern Munich and a very surprising Hoffenheim team who has a very good talent level on the roster, did not have a lot of high expectations coming into the season but has itself right on the cusp of a European position and sure as hell, they're going to fight <laughs> to try and get some points from Bayern Munich this weekend. So that should be a very interesting match. And as I just touched on, we did get the announcement officially today from Bayern Munich that the Carolina Panthers will be playing a game. The NFL's Carolina Panthers will be playing a game at the Allianz arena next fall. Uh, if you were around for the last NFL game, uh, the Seahawks versus the Buccaneers, there was a lot of buzz around it from fans in terms of just people in Germany wanting the experience of an NFL game. Uh, what it really did, though, the logistics of the situation was that it ruined Bayern Munich's pitch. It had to be replaced. Uh, the NFL, of course, did pay for that, but it wasn't quite up to par. There was a lot of work that had to go into replacing that grass. Uh, Byron ended up stealing away a groundskeeper from Wolfsburg to try and help with the process. And this guy is a real grass expert. We've covered him in depth at BFW, but I'm a little disappointed. I knew it was coming. Uh, I don't mind the NFL being in Germany. I'm an NFL fan, uh, to be honest, before I ever discovered the world of regular football, I had found American football because quite frankly, where I grew up, there was no uh, regular footy, right? Like it was, I've talked about that many, many times. It was a very blue collar area with the primary American sports being played. So if you played soccer, when I was young, you were either rich or you went over to another town to do it because we sure as hell did not have it where I lived. Anyway, uh, with the investments that Bayern Munich has made into the turf and how they've got this groundskeeper to help keep it going. I'm hoping things go a little bit more smoothly this time around, but if you've ever seen an NFL game, it, it does put a lot of wear and tear onto the grass surface. Uh, by the end of the season, every NFL sit and every NFL stadium is pretty much torn up. Ironically, my kids play uh, for a club that plays games on a company that, that produces grass for many NFL stadiums. So uh, you can see even after kids soccer, as we call it in America, uh, there is quite a bit that uh, that gets ground up and torn up. So uh, when you're talking about throwing, uh, you know, guys that weigh anywhere from 205 to 350 pounds uh, running into each other at full speed, uh, it does tend to tear things up. So hopefully the grass at the Allianz Arena survives that next fall. You know, Bavarian Grassworks will be right on top of that situation as it develops. But very interesting announcement. No one knows as of yet who the Carolina Panthers will play uh, at the Allianz Arena, but they will be the host team, I would assume. And 
would be forfeiting one of their home games at their home stadium, which is in Charlotte, which I think I walked by when I was in Charlotte at some point. Uh, there's a main strip. Is it Tryon Street in Charlotte? I was there for work at one point, and I remember walking around exploring, and I think I like took a turn, and all of a sudden I saw this big stadium. So uh, kind of crazy, uh, but the the Carolina Panthers will be the next NFL team who their opponent will be. We'll find out soon enough, I'm sure. But the bigger news aside of the NFL coming back to Munich is that Eric Dyer made his move to Bayern Munich. It's not official at the time of this recording, but it's expected to go official literally any minute. He was undergoing his medical exams and had obviously traveled to Germany. So what does it all mean? We've talked about this potential transfer for a while. And there's been a lot of back and forth, especially in our comment sections. Where does he fit? What will his role be? You know, right now, what's obvious is that Thomas Tuchel was the primary person pushing for this. We, we're starting to see stories drop. I think it was Abin Zaitung's Maximilian Koch who has summed up that Tuchel was the, the primary person that, that wanted Eric Dyer at Bayern Munich. So uh, with that, you know, where does he fit in? I mean, I've been heralding this for a while. He's just a depth piece at this point. When you look at the back line situation that Bayern Munich's in right now, I mean, they have a dearth of center backs. You just have Dio Upamakano and Matthijs Delict. Kim Min Jae is off with Korea on international duty. Tarek Buckman has not played at all this season, and even when he comes back, is not going to be ready. Thomas Tuchel has used Leon Goretzka as a center back. So knowing all of that, I think having Dyer as that option, you know, the third option right now, soon to be the fourth option when Kim Min Jae comes back, it makes sense. This is a $4 million transfer. It didn't break the bank. This is just a good business deal in many, many ways. Uh, we talk about him playing right back. He obviously hasn't played in a while, but much like Daly Blind last year, you need someone that can shift out there on short notice. And if you look at the right back situation for Bayern Munich right now, I mean, Tuchel played Kimmich last weekend against FC Basel at right back. Stanisic is on loan with Bayer Leverkusen. Bunasar has a torn ACL. Nusar Misrawi is both injured and away on international duty with Morocco. There are There is a need right now. And if you factor in that Conrad Limer had a knee injury earlier this week, nothing serious, but something that's been bothering him. He's expected to play this weekend, but we don't know how much of a role Tuchel will give him, given that he's coming off of this knee injury and still could be susceptible to, to further damage. You needed someone that you could plug in there on short notice so that you didn't have to devote Joshua Kimmich's time to playing right back. So I don't mind Eric Dyer as this, as I called it, a break glass in case of emergency type option. Do I expect him to play a lot of outside back? No. Just like I didn't expect Daly Blind to have to play that much last year, but you needed the assurance of having a player like that on the roster who could fill in out there if needed. And I think that that's the key point. You're not going to start him out there. You're probably not even going to bring him in as a sub there. But if you get a couple of injuries, somebody gets sick because we know it's that kind of year. Say Mizrawi tweaks his injury while he's away with Morocco. You need someone who has some kind of experience. And I know Dyer is not exactly a speedster at this point. I get it, but he does know how to play the position. And as a veteran, you would think he'd be able to work around that a little bit and hopefully give Tuchel the option 
to perhaps even rest Kimmich and not have him have to play right back or just even provide some kind of depth coverage in games where it's a blowout one way or the other for Bayern Munich, more than likely Bayern Munich winning by a lot. Not going to hurt you to play Eric Dyer in those situations. And as far as his ability to play as a defensive midfielder, I equate that a lot to what we're going to see as him as a right back. You're not going to see it much, even though Bayern Munich might not have a lot of options in the midfield. They still have Kimmich. They still have Goretzka. I think they really like what they've seen out of Alexander Pavlovich. I think they like Rafael Guerrero and what he's done in the midfield too. So I think you have four options there now that I think Tuchel's a little bit comfortable with. Uh, I don't know that he loves any of them. I especially don't think he loves Kimmich or Goretzka. But he's got those four. And if you have Dyer as your fifth guy, you could do a lot worse, especially because you do have Jamal Musiala who could slide in there and play the eight if needed as well. So you do have options, but I do believe you needed a player like Eric Dyer on this roster because, one, he's a veteran, understands the game, has played on the biggest stages. He gets it. Two, he's cheap. It's a $4 million transfer at this point. Like You could do a lot worse. And three, this alleviates Tuchel because he's been pushing for this and he's been the one really moaning about the team's lack of depth. It gives him a player to help solidify three positions if he needs it. This is not going to be a starter. It's not going to be a key player. He is a key depth player. He is a end of the roster guy that could be used to help rest people. And I think that's what you're looking at. And I know a lot of people are very disappointed in this move. I, I get it. I totally get it. If you go on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it right now, people are fired up. They're pissed at Christoph Freund. They're pissed at Tuchel. They don't understand what's going on. But I think you have to look at it from this perspective. This is daily blend all over again. The difference is Eric Dyer is buddies with Harry Kane. This is going to not only provide the team some depth, but it's going to give Kane a sense of home, give him someone to relate with, hang out with. Uh, it's not exactly golf season in Germany right now, so he probably needs someone that he can chill with in <laughs> inside these days. And I think Eric Dyer could help be kind of that conduit to help Kane's transition as he continues to get used to life in Germany. Those two really had a good relationship at Tottenham. And, and I think that rolls into the final point about Eric Dyer. He's not just a veteran, but he's a good locker room presence by all accounts and a popular player. He's someone that other players can go to and lean on for advice. And that is someone who can help other players when they're struggling. This is what he's become known for in recent years. So if all of those things, you factor, you mix them up, you factor all of them in, it's not a bad move. It's not going to change anything, but it is going to quiet Tuchel down a little bit. It's going to provide a little bit of depth. And what's the worst thing that could happen? You brought Harry Kane's buddy along for the ride. At least it wasn't Sadio Mane's buddy, right? Because that was a rumor. Actually, they not even a rumor. They brought him in to play for Bayern Munich too. So, uh, I mean, it's not like Bayern has not done this before. Uh, one of the interesting parts of all of these rumors that have come around is that Thomas Tuchel has openly whined about wanting a number six. He has done so at the detriment of his relationship with Joshua Kimmich. Uh, and the primary target for Tuchel has been Fulham's Jao Polina. And it came out this week that Bayern Munich is, is out of the race for Polina at this point. Now, it's still only the 11th of January when we're recording this. There's a lot left in the month. Things could change. It could all be a smokescreen from Bayern Munich. But assuming the reports are true and that Paulina is going to stay with Fulham and that Bayern Munich 
if they pursue him at all, it will be next summer. It's not the worst thing in the world. I know a lot of people want. I I don't think Bayern Munich's keen to spend 50 to 60 million right now. And that's conservative at this point. He just re-upped his deal with Fulham. They have all, they hold all the cards here. It's not like you can strong strong arm them because you're Bayern Munich. Uh, Paulinha is, has a lot of good qualities, great tackler. I think in some ways he could be a fit, but in other ways, I, I think it could cause a lot of disruption, especially within the locker room. So it's not the worst thing that that moves probably not going to happen. The last thing that this team needs is as Tuchel is starting to sever some relationships with players is a new toy for Tuchel to use who he desperately wants to play in the midfield. And I, I think this is, a very next level thinking kind of equation by the board here. I think the board, and I'm I'm totally speculating on this. I think the board recognizes a couple things that Tuchel believes he needs a player like Pelinia. I think that the board also recognizes that Kimmich is extremely put off by the idea that Tuchel's openly talking about replacing him. And I think one way to kind of cut through all of that and to push from basically A to Z in this whole situation is to take Pelinia out of the mix at midseason. Take the whole second half, evaluate as a board if you really think that Tuchel needs someone like Pelinia as the number six, and then make your decision on what you're going to do. I don't think it was worth upsetting the apple cart at this point. I don't know that Pelinia was going to, to really move the needle all that much that was going to make a difference with this team from where it is right now to what it could be with him. I mean, this is still a team, even if you add Paulinho, that's still the third team in the Champions League, at least in my mind. I mean, third ranked in terms of most dangerous to win the thing. You have Manchester City, you have Real Madrid. Those two are a top level. They are separated from everyone else. I put Bayern as third behind them. I just don't think Paulinho would have pushed them over the edge there. So I, I think that it's a smart move by the board. You don't want to spend a lot of money right now, especially if you're not fully convinced and you think that you need to see more, especially because of the way it could have an effect in the locker room. I'm not saying you cower in fear of Kimmich, but the locker room is a very volatile situation. And let's be honest, Tuchel has not always done a great job in his career of managing players, managing relationships, or really controlling a locker room. The stories at PSG from when he was there, total nightmare. And you can see how his personality would grind away at players as it did Mats Hummels at Borussia Dortmund, as it done with so many other players at Chelsea, PSG, and Dortmund over the years. So, you know, if you want to give Tuchel the benefit of the doubt, you want to make it work with the coach, you want to give a player like Kimmich an opportunity to earn his position as the number six and show that he can handle it. And and you you want to avoid having to dump a lot of money into position that you're not fully convinced you know that you need right now. I think it's absolutely 100% the right move to play wait and see with Pelinia, see how he does in the second half of the season see how Kimmich handles things, and then make a decision one way or the other in July. And I think Bayern Munich's taking the right tact with that. I don't think that making a move for Paulina right now would have been the right thing to do. One of the other big rumors this week was that Real Madrid advised Alfonso Davies not to negotiate with Bayern Munich. And of course, you know, you see a report like that, and it's one of two things. It's a reporter that got some great information from a source within a club like Real Madrid, or it's 
someone making an assumption. And at this point, we don't know exactly what the situation is. We do know that there was a follow-up story stating that Madrid has such a good relationship with Bayern Munich, they would not be tampering, or for lack of a better word, tampering, I guess, with one of Bayern's players at this point. Uh, I don't know what I believe about that story. What I do know is I think Davies is really, really exploring leaving Bayern Munich. We've talked about Davies a ton on this show. I'm not going to go back into why things are up and down with him. But when it comes to Madrid, I think there is that allure. I talked a lot about the platform that they offer with La Liga and just being Real Madrid and how that could be very, very appealing to a player like Davies, who is very conscious of his brand and of his imprint worldwide via social media. I think it's a natural fit for Davies. I'm very interested to see how Bayern handles it from here. I'm not sure that they have the right package to offer Davies in terms of finances, platform, and and meeting the the needs and requirements that he has uh, with those things. I think Bayern wants to pay him a certain amount. I think Real Madrid might be willing to exceed that amount. And let's be honest, Real Madrid is going to get you more views and more clicks than, than Bayern Munich would any day. That's just how it is. I mean, Real Madrid's got a true global appeal uh, you know, and some of that has to do with the language. Uh, you know, it's Spanish. You you have, when you speak Spanish, you you have a lot in North America, South America, Central America. You, you have a lot of areas with that you can really touch home with. If you're trying to follow Bayern Munich in America, you have to rely on sources like BFW or IMEA Samia because you just don't have the access to the day-to-day -day coverage of Bayern Munich. I mean, you have to you have to go to the German publications. Build, Kicker, AZ, TZ. I mean, those are all the, the Sky. Those are the ones, Sport 1. You have to rely on those to get your news. So, I mean, it's one of the things that, that we do at BFW. We take that role very seriously. We, we are trying to be the English language conduit to day-to-day -day Bayern Munich coverage. And... It's, it's very difficult. So if you think like someone like Davies, who has this grand plan to have a brand, to, to be a personality, you're just quite frankly going to get more exposure at Real Madrid or in the Premier League. That's just how it is. So whatever happens with Davies, we'll, we'll probably get start to get more and more of an inkling in the coming weeks. Uh, the first time that his agent officially shoots down negotiations or rejects a bigger offer from Bayern Munich, it will be huge news and will probably give us the roadmap for Davies' exit. We'll see if Bayern Munich can pull something out of its back pocket and convince the Canadian to stay. So I'm not writing it off completely yet, but man, it really does feel like that Davies is on his way out the door. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We've got a couple of other news items to talk about. I'll also, at the end of the program, hit my uh, my status with where I'm at in Fargo and the Marvel Odyssey than I am on. So we'll talk a little bit about that, but I've got much more news to talk about. We'll be right back after this break. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. This is Chuck Smith. Thank for hang thanks for hanging in there after the first segment and that commercial break. We really do appreciate all the support that you give us at BavarianFootballWorks.com and also with Bavarian Podcast Works. Uh, one of those big stories that we saw that just keeps snowballing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually we're going to have this Indiana Jones-sized boulder of snow coming at us, 
is Yashua Kimmich and his unhappiness with Thomas Tuchel, the situation at Bayern Munich, however you want to phrase it. The most recent thing that we saw, we, we've known about the interest from Liverpool, and Man City and Real Madrid and Barca. We know it's there. Manchester United, all of those big clubs want him. But PSG this week apparently is throwing its hat in the ring. They're starting to sense weakness in the relationship between Kimmich and Bayern Munich, and they are looking to bring in intermediaries to work with Kimmich and potentially convincing him to make a move to France in the offseason. Now, of all the clubs that are interested in Kimmich, I think PSG has the least to offer him. They are, in my mind, uh, the team least likely to, to win anything on a European scale. They do offer a lot of money, which I'm sure would make Kimmich feel good. I mean, who doesn't want to be paid a whole hell of a lot? But it's nothing outside the realm of what Manchester City could pay him. It just doesn't seem like PSG would be a good fit for a number of reasons. Now, from a PSG perspective, I could absolutely see why they want Kimmich. I think he could bring an attitude to their midfield. He could bring stability to their midfield. And I think if they are able to retain some of the weapons that they have at this moment, namely Kylian Mbappe, a player like Kimmich would be an excellent complement to Mbappe. I'm not sure that the move will work. I think Kimmich, if he does leave Bayern Munich, which I'm again, I'm not 100% fully convinced about, I think he would definitely lean more toward Liverpool or Man City and potentially even Real Madrid. I don't know if Barca is a fit at this stage for him either. But either way, he's got other options. So I don't think that PSG is going to be the type of club that would make him move from Bayern Munich. And, and with Kimmich... It's become so divisive. I understand that fans are unhappy with him. Over the past few years, I've been one of the voices that's been a little bit more critical of him for a couple of reasons. And some of the reasons I've criticized him are not necessarily down to what other fans are looking at. A lot of fans are like, they don't like his press resistance. They don't like his decision-making at times. They don't like his positioning at other times. For me, it's a little bit more about Kimmich having this ever-growing ego. He doesn't ever want to come off the field. Coaches have seemed to be coaching in fear of him, removing him from games and whatnot. And more than anything, he has pushed himself and driven himself into the ground so many times over the years by not taking a rest, by not being subbed out. I think it's hurt his own performance. I actually think it's taken a season or two off of his career because he's just accumulating so much wear and tear. He's not a big guy. He is getting bumped around, knocked down, play. He plays a very physical style that all catches up to you when you get older. And I'm not saying Kimmich is an old beaten down man like me, but he is certainly in the veteran stage of his career. And even though I believe he's, I think he's still just 28. He has, gotten beaten up he's had some injuries he he rarely took off for what four to five years there now you have Tuchel who's not a big fan of him there are certainly a lot of things working against Kimmich at Bayern but I think in the end he's going to have to assess his future where he thinks he's going to be a fit let's be honest Kimmich is not going to be a player who's going to be remotely happy if he's replaced or has to take a bench roll I don't foresee him sitting there like Thomas Muller has in recent weeks and being okay with not playing. I don't think Kimmich will ever get to that point. So for now, I think Kimmich's got a lot of thinking to do. I think Bayern Munich's got a lot of thinking to do. But I'm not sure that at this stage, PSG is even on the table for Kimmich. Even if they hit him up with intermediaries, even if they try and, and 
get in there first before City or Liverpool or anyone else. I think Kimmich knows better. I think that that PSG, he knows what the end game is there. I don't think that they're going to be a Champions League winner in the next four to five years. And that might be a little bit of a bold statement. I mean, right now they have Kylian Mbappe, but I just don't think they have the culture there at this point to be able to really sustain a run through the Champions League and fend off other great teams. It's not a knock on their talent, but they do tend to recycle guys a little bit, work through them, get them out, bring in new players to replace them who go through the same thing. Uh, It's very, it's a very difficult environment to work in. Mbappe basically runs the team at this point. Uh, Whatever he says goes. Uh, If he re-ups with PSG, I don't know. If you would want a player like Mbappe calling all the shots when it comes to personnel and everything like that, which it seems like he's got a lot of input. So I don't think PSG is a serious option for Kimmich, but I guess we'll see how that plays out. A couple of other interesting notes uh, that we saw regarding some young players. Yachi Wazirksi is having a good season in Syria. Uh, Bayern Munich does hold a buyback option on his contract. So there is a decision that's going to have to be made. Uh, With Xerxes' continued success, his value is going up. Does Bayern Munich, one, want to bring him back because they believe in his talent? I I think they believe in his talent, but I think they also recognize that, one, he desperately needed a change of scenery, which he did, and two, that he probably has mentally moved on from the situation of Bayern Munich and bringing him back would probably not yield the same kind of results that Bayern Munich would want. Two, I think Byron has to decide whether they want to really take this decision to be a quote-unquote selling club to the next level. If you bring back Xerxes, if you exercise your your buyback option and you immediately go to resell him, you're not going to make that much more money because while Xerxes has been good, let's be honest, there's a track record of inconsistency there. And while he's still young and he's still growing into what he'll eventually be as a player, it would be a little bit risky financially to do that. You don't know what the market is for him. And, you know, I mean, you could put feelers out. You could figure out maybe you could make $10 million, Maybe you can make fifteen. I, I don't know. Is it worth going through all that to try and put the effort into bringing him back just to sell him? I don't think he's a player that the club needs right now. When you have Harry Kane, you have Matisse Tell, you have Thomas Muller, you have Jamal Musiala. You're talking about four pretty good options. Uh, for however you want to classify the top two positions at Bayern Munich, whether you say striker and secondary striker, striker and attacking midfield, it seems like, you know, even with Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry on the roster, you can slide them in. You've got a plethora of young attacking midfielders you could bring up and slide into those roles. It just doesn't make sense to bring Xerxes back and, and really think about giving him a, a role on the team because I don't know that he would thrive in that environment. I think part of the reason he's been so good this season is he's getting a consistent opportunity. The club has confidence in him, and he's repaying that debt. I mean, he's 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 got his head clear. He's in a situation where he's not worrying about pressure or playing time or anything. He's just able to go out and play the game, and I think that's exactly what he needed when he went to Bologna. So uh, good for Xerxes. I don't think it's a... Wise move for Bayern Munich to bring him back. If they do, they had already better have a uh, buyer in mind because I don't think it's going to be so easy to just flip him like, you know, he's a house he just remodeled. Another interesting note out of Italy is Arian Ibrahimovic, who has not played a ton and gotten a, a ton of run during his loan in Syria, 
uh, he is getting a lot of interest. So when he does get on the pitch, one thing about Ibrahimovic is he is electric. He is fearless. He is fast. He has got a nose for goal and he just seems to make things happen. I'm not saying he's the kind of player that makes everyone around him better, but he does make things happen and draw your attention. And I think that that's what some clubs are looking at right now and that they're seeing. And it looks like at this point that the, that the purchase option on him could be exercised and he could be flipped. So this is a whole very interesting situation with really the pipeline of players for that position. You still have Gabriel Vidovich on loan. You have Paul Vonner out on loan. You have Byron looking at some tens in the market. They've also got Lovers Vonerick, who is mostly known as a 10, I believe. So you've got a lot of youth options there. You've got players that Byron has invested in, not just with time, but also in money. I'm very interested to see what they do with Ibrahimovic. He's a player that I think is boom or bust. I think he's either going to explode and become a good player like a really good player, or he's going to become the type of guy who's a decent player on a bad team somewhere where he'll go out and score 12 goals a year, but he's going to cost you 15. I like him as a player. I think he's got good potential, but it is definitely a little bit concerning that at this point, after the hype around him, that he didn't go on his loan and really start to assert himself and take things over and become more of an impact player there. So I'm not ready to write him off by any means. I want to see how he does here from now until the end of the season. But uh, it is very interesting to see that he's getting a lot of interest because he does have that skill set and that electricity that I think draws teams back to him. Uh, one other final note I wanted to to mention, and we'll have this in the Daily Schmucker on Friday, is that uh, Barry Hepburn is being called back from his loan in Scotland. Uh, very curious because he is actually one of the Bayern Munich loanees who's done fairly well in his time. Production-wise, it hasn't been great since the beginning of the season, but he's gotten some consistent run. He's gotten some experience. It's very curious to why they're bringing him back. I don't know if this is a situation where they need to bolster Bayern Munich 2 or if this is something where they want to have him train with the first team and become that fourth option at winger behind Leroy Sané, Kingsley Coman, and Serge Gnabry. Of course, with Gnabry out injured, Coman's been banged up. Sané kind of hit the wall at the end of the first half of the season. I'm not saying Hepburn would come in and be the kind of player that's replacing any of them. But again, when you're talking about depth and you want a true winger to be available for those positions, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to take a kid like that, have him train with the first team every day, and maybe give him some sub minutes every once in a while. Now, I, I still like Matisse Tell as that fourth winger, but I can see why Tuchel might be straying away from that. Tell had some awesome moments in the first half, half of the season, had some down moments as well, was not able to produce on the big stage at points when he was called upon to take a bigger role. He's been very, very good as a, as a super sub, and I think that there's a lot of merit to that. Uh, but... Uh, I can see why Tuchel might be thinking that Tell is more of a central player than a winger. I still think Tell's got great ability as a wing and good potential as a wing. But Hepburn could come in and really just be that depth player, not too dissimilar to what Bayern Munich is envisioning for Eric Dyer. So uh, not massive news there, but very interesting for something for, for fans of the club who follow the youth players, something for you guys to monitor as well. 
Finally, uh, I'll get to the entertainment rundown, as I call it here. I just wanted to give some quick thoughts. I won't go on too long with this, but Fargo, we saw the latest episode. And man, if you were, if you remember the time period where this is set, which is right around uh, pre-pandemic, kind of the climate in the United States and everything that was going on, uh, it really makes sense that it's all heading down to this showdown on a ranch. Uh, it's a very militia type thing, uh, it, especially if you think back to that period, uh, there were some incidents like this in the Pacific Northwest where uh, we we had seen some things that appear to be uh, very similar to what is playing out on the season of Fargo. But uh, again, great episode. We, we see Dot on the run on the compound, or I should say the ranch, I guess. Uh, trying to escape. We see that the FBI has been brought in. We see the recognition that Danish Graves has been murdered. We see that Gator has lost his eyes to Munch and that Munch did a uh, very biblical eye for an eye uh, thing to him. I uh, took things very literally with that. But uh, when Gator killed the old woman who was probably... Uh, I don't want to say involuntarily housing Munch there, but probably was not voluntary with her. Uh, when Gator killed her while he was trying to steal back the money that Roy gave Munch, uh, Munch, he took things into his own hands to say the least. So very interesting character there. I, I'm still going to say this. Joe Keery as Gator has been tremendous. We Most of us know Joe Keery from his role as Steve on Stranger Things, which he does excellent with as well. But, you know... It, Kiri has become the latest dopey son in a long list of dopey sons. Uh, I like to call it the AJ Soprano principle. Uh, AJ Soprano, <laughs> uh, for all of the things about the Sopranos, AJ Soprano was one of the, the more interesting character arcs to watch develop over the years. One of my favorite lines in the whole Sopranos is when AJ is very, very young and he's out by the pool and he's talking to his mom and dad. And I think it was father and Tintola. And uh, they find out that Tony's mom isn't coming to dinner. And, and AJ says something to the effect. I don't know the exact quote, but so what? No effing lasagna or no effing ziti now. And, 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 you know, you get the whole, Oh, from Tony and <laughs> Carmela, their reaction, but as that series progressed, obviously, A.J. Soprano became more reprehensible and weaker uh, as a character. Uh, and, and I think you saw that from Gator. Entitled, uh, lots of power for a young kid that he probably didn't know how to handle or deserve, just very similar to A.J. Soprano. And the unique ability to make every decision the wrong decision, which we definitely saw from A.J. Soprano as well. And there's been many of these sons along the way that are just weaker versions of their father and joe keery as he played gator tillman i mean a perfect portrayal of that type of character now th those characters always annoy me because i think it's a subconscious thing that a lot of writers and directors do to show that this generation is much weaker and gets weaker with every generation which i'm not going to say there's not some merit to because when you think about it I mean, you know, you go back a couple of generations, we had, you know, people fighting in worlds, World War One, World War Two, all of these wars. And it was a tougher, much tougher, much more self-sufficient generation. I will totally admit that. But I feel like some of the, the portrayals of sons go way over the top and making them look like weak, bumbling buffoons uh, more than they need to be, I think. So that's definitely become a trope of modern television. It's very hard to find uh, a show where 
the sun is not the biggest uh, dope on the on the show. So anyway, a great portrayal by Joe Keery. Again, this series of Fargo has been fantastic. I'm very eager to see how it plays out because it looks like it's setting up for a shootout between the FBI and Roy Tillman's militia. Uh, Roy Tillman's father-in-law has become a very interesting figure. He's definitely a wingnut, uh, loose cannon, pushing Roy to, to go over the top. Uh, this is a very, very excellent season of Fargo. Can't recommend it enough. So if you get a chance to check that out, you absolutely should because it, it has been a thrill ride. And I wasn't sure where it was going in the beginning. As I said, like there's been a lot of things with this season that in a weird way have really struck me just through my experiences, through some of the people I know in life. I mean, again, you have, uh, and I can't remember the actor's name who por portrayed this person, but the boyfriend of, of the woman police officer who now works for uh, the Lions. And how he was, you know, a dreamer without really any goals and was being supported by his wife. Again, another portrayal of the modern male as just a lazy buffoon. And, and he was. These guys, these actors are nailing it. I mean, they they make these characters so unlikable. And they, they're fantastic at doing it. But uh, you see this. And aside of knowing people like that, and, you know, one, I think I referenced this before. I once worked for a company who had an arm of its business in a debt recovery uh, space. So while I didn't work in that end of the business, I certainly knew people and were, was friends with people who worked in it and the nightmare stories you would hear about that. I mean, it's crazy. So all of that for me, all of this really hit home because of all of these personal experiences that I've had. And they seem to be all tied together with a lot of actors who I really like. So uh, just tremendous, tremendous season. Can't recommend it enough. If you haven't checked it out, you're, you are really missing out because it, it's it been so good. And listen, Fargo, it has, because it's an anthology series like we've talked about before, it has the potential to to miss, right? Like there, there could be a big miss somewhere in the long line. It has not missed yet. And if you like Fargo and you've liked the previous seasons, you would totally enjoy this one. Uh, one of the other things that I'm doing is I'm still trying to, to work my way through the Marvel Odyssey, as I call it. And I'll quickly just touch on some things that, that, uh, from the, the movies that I've been able to, to watch over the last week. Uh, and again, I'm killing my sleep schedule right now because I'm, I'm usually like starting a movie one night, finishing it the next. I can't do it. I can't stay awake that long because I'm just old and tired now. But I did uh, start Ant-Man, which I will say I gave it three and a half out of five. I thought it was really solid. Didn't know what to expect. I was, you know, it, because I tried to come into this blind with things, like I was a little disappointed we didn't get the Hank Pym version of it, though we did see Hank Pym there. Uh, I was wondering how they were going to portray it and uh, putting Pym in the, what I call the Howard Stark generation of S.H.I.E.L.D. made sense, using Scott Lang as the Ant-Man, so to speak, uh, Made sense. And I thought Paul Rudd was really good in it. Didn't necessarily care too much for Evangeline Lilly as Hope Pym, but I did think it was a very good movie. I liked it uh, more than I thought I would. So three and a half out of five. Uh, Captain America Civil War. Um, this will probably go down as the lowest rated uh, Marvel flick 
that I, that I have. It's a 3.25 out of five. One thing I will say, it didn't make me reconsider the rating that I gave Captain America, the winter soldier, which I bumped up to a 3.75 because I did not like civil war. I thought a lot of it was forced. I thought it didn't really need to be a movie. I get where there were some themes that they needed to work in to, to tie in and make some of the later movies make sense. But I thought they could have probably been weaved into the plot lines of other Marvel movies rather than having this one dedicated flick that was put together to, in my mind, just make money. This is one of the few movies that I, I still liked it. I don't want to say I didn't like it, but it was to me the weakest of the offerings, which I was surprised about because it had so many characters that I enjoy. So uh, Captain America Civil War did not did not necessarily enjoy that one as much. Black Panther, I gave a four out of five. Movie was very good. I still had a little trouble. And I understand the history of the Black Panther. But I also recognize that when the original story was written, having a hidden city was probably, or basically a hidden country, was something that could uh, conceivably happen back in those days. It can't happen anymore. So I had a lot of trouble getting over that. I know I should be expanding my beliefs here i'm watching superhero movies after all right uh did enjoy it really enjoyed the performances i thought the uh the acting was terrific michael b jordan as killmonger was terrific uh the backstory on that was really good i really enjoyed it uh it did not strike me as a, a movie that should have won an oscar not that i really am a huge fan of the the movies that win oscars generally uh, but uh, Black Panther, I thought was really, really good. Uh, didn't just I didn't understand where the buzz was. It wasn't like this was to me uh, anything more than a really good superhero movie, which is not a bad thing by any means. Um, but it was good. Four out of five. Really gave it a. Really enjoyed it. Uh, and, you know, Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa was was really good, and I love how the story played out and how the plot developed. It made you know it made the viewer intrigued as you went along to see how things would progress from a to b so really did enjoy that one as well surprisingly and i'll say surprisingly because i i did not expect to like this one as much as i did but black widow i gave a 4.75 out of 5 near perfect i thought it was great and, and maybe i'm a sucker for spy movies and i, I really liked the americans which uh good series by FX as well. If you have not seen that, you should absolutely check it out. But I, you know, I was a big fan of that show. So this kind of touched that it had uh, just had a little, again, the casting was terrific. Uh, what Marvel has done to get the right actors into the right character roles is, is really tremendous. Loved seeing the black widow's backstory uh, again, like, the parts that bothered me about this were minor, but the floating space station kind of deal, um, that, that, that did bother me a little bit and it shouldn't, it, again, I can't wrap my head around some of it. And, and this is a me problem more than a Marvel problem. I get why the movie didn't do as well in theaters as some of the other movies. Like one, there's always, there is a natural bias, I think against female lead characters, which there, there shouldn't be, but you could see in the general public, how, it's very tough in my mind for a production company to be able to get the most out of it unless fans are really all that into it. So they had a little bit of a mark against it with that. Now I don't feel that way because I love the movie, but I could, you could see how 
with Marvel, it's not as if you can always bring like, oh, I'm going to bring my daughter to see this who's six. Like you don't know how it's going to play out, right? Like you don't know what's going to be involved in there and all of that. And with the timing of when this was released, you were dealing with the pandemic. So I get why it did, just financially didn't do as well. But in my mind, one of the tremendous uh, flicks of this Odyssey, I loved it. I thought it was great. Scarlett Johansson was great. Maybe I'm a sucker for her. I, I don't know. But I thought this was really, really good. Love the whole theme of it. And I think the timing of it, just in the overall storyline, I mean, if I remember correctly, Endgame had already come out and then you were getting this Black Widow movie where, spoiler alert, she was already dead. So that probably turned some people off as well. There was a lot working against it. And I still, to this day, say Marvel would have done itself well to put out these movies in chronological order and I know like there were reasons they couldn't because you, you want to build buzz. You want to get the most popular characters with the biggest actors out there and generate the buzz to carry the rest of the films. But in my mind, this would have worked better coming before Endgame. So I loved the Black Widow, one of my favorites that I've seen so far. Wish it would have done better financially because I think there, there was a lot of potential for uh, characters like the Black Widow and Hawkeye to have bigger film roles because just the whole spy aspect of an assassin aspect of what they do, it could lead to so many more storylines. Obviously there's been what 30, 40, 50 years of comic books based on these characters. So there was a lot of other avenues they could have explored with them. But you know, when you get outside the realm of captain America, Iron Man, the Hulk uh, and Thor, I guess um, there just wasn't a lot of, I guess, buzz from Marvel to really start to push some of these other characters into bigger feature film. So enjoyed this segment of the Marvel Odyssey. I hope you enjoyed my my takes on them, even though they're like way old in some cases, like a decade old, right? But uh, I'm enjoying doing this. I wish I would have done it earlier. I just couldn't muster up the energy to, to, to start this and then try and finish it. So really enjoyed those. Uh, and again, I would highly recommend Black Widow. I thought it was terrific. So if you get a chance, even if you're not necessarily a Marvel fan, I thought it was really a really fun thrill ride to watch. Uh, that'll about wrap up this episode of the weekend warm-up podcast. As always, you can get me at on Twitter at the Barrel Blog. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works and get our tweetmeister, Tom Adams at Tommy Adams71. You can get I Need No Name at BFWIN and N. You can get Siler at CYL3R. You can get all of our great and wonderful podcasters and writers at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Enjoy the Bayern Munich versus Hoffenheim match this weekend. I'm sure there'll be some signings coming up. Uh, we'll get the official announcement on Eric Dier soon, Dier soon. So enjoy that. Stick with BFW for all of your Bayern Munich and Germany coverage. Have a couple of beers on me, and we will see you next time.